Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Midnight Film Review. I am Brian Stevens and with me is... Colin Smith. Hopefully you guys can hear me this week. I think we've uh, fixed some of our audio problems, hopefully. Um, so, much like last time, this episode is going to be in pretty much in the same format. We're going to have an open discussion, uh, followed with some recommendations, what to, what, what not to watch, um, followed by an in-depth review of the Netflix movie Beasts of No Nation, starring Idris Elba and Abraham Ada, Ada? 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 yeah. Something. Something like that. Uh, directed and written for screen by uh, Carrie Fukunaga. So uh, we're going to start it off with a discussion uh, about Netflix and uh, their change in formats and where they're going. Um, I'll start us off because this, uh, was, this was my idea to uh, bring this up. So uh, I have a theory that we talked a little bit about before we started recording. But Netflix originally... Um, was the standard of streaming, and about five years ago they lost uh, the Criterion Collection, which is a number of very good movies, very popular movies. And then shortly after that, um, they were pretty much price gouged by Disney uh, and lost all their Disney collection. Um, as of late, we've seen them produce a lot of original content, a lot of original TV shows. Um, but one thing that I think that uh, really makes them a little different than the other streaming thing is they're heavily relying on their own content. Um, well, they, they actually pioneered, kind of pioneered the idea of non-broadcast original content and the idea that it could be quality and compete with the big broadcast networks in a legitimate way. Um, their, you know, their streaming library aside, they kind of cornered that market and pushed it into... Uh, Pushed it into being, and now you know everybody's talking about Orange is the New Black and House of Cards, House of Cards, all their fam- favorite Netflix streaming shows. And I mean, Amazon and Hulu are <laughs> competing um, with some quality stuff of their own. Uh, I haven't. I, I keep meaning to watch. Uh, was it Horrible People? Is that is that the name of the the new Hulu? Uh, I think you're. Are you, talking about transparent oh hulu hulu i don't honestly i think we talked about last week i don't know anything about hulu okay i should probably know the name of the show i'm trying to to reference before (laughs) i attempt to bring it up unsuccessfully but anyway so five years ago netflix i'll let you continue oh no that that was a good interjection i think you're right they totally changed the way that uh we view media and we we consume um tv and movies uh one one thing that i think to me, is interesting is, in my opinion, they pushed a television show, Breaking Bad, over the point. We kind of looked at the the viewership um, on Wikipedia, and pretty much going into season five, if I'm not mistaken, um, that was around the time where everybody was able to catch up on Breaking Bad through Netflix, um, the viewership doubled, um, which made, in turn, Breaking Bad a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, I knew none of this, but it actually, since between season one, two, and three, and season five, it more than tripled, it looked like, average viewership. Um, I mean, the numbers were, like, what, under, probably under one and a half million aggregate per episode, season one. Uh, the season finale for the show was, I think, over 10 million, that's 10 million a, viewers. That's a yeah, jump. That's that's a, a small, small increase. <laughs> yeah. I, I would I would reckon to say that that's probably the largest increase from pilot to finale. I mean, it would be hard to see that, that big of a jump. Uh, especially in this day and age. I mean, maybe not in the days of Seinfeld and Friends and MASH and stuff like that. Yeah. But today, I mean, uh, you're talking 10 million viewers is a lot of viewers, especially for a cable broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real thing I want to focus on uh, with Netflix is how much they're changing and they're really struggling. We kind of talked about this too. They're struggling to get shows uh, that are currently on television right now. Um, they di- they once had a deal strictly with AMC. That's how they got Breaking Bad. But they've kind of lost that. They haven't got any of the new Walking Dead seasons. Um, they're supposed to be catching up on that. Um, they haven't... They've gotten some Fox shows, not all Fox shows. So, like, you know, they've, they've got... They have Gotham. <coughs> <laughs> Thank God. They, Thank God I can it's get a life my saver. Gotham fix that's, on Netflix. Yeah, that's twenty-two hours that you'll never get back. Um, 
but they, you know, uh, a show um, like The Arrow is um, is about a, as good as you're going to do a superhero television show. They, they they have that. They have the Flash, the CW well, shows. So see, now I'd like to point out the only reason I have Hulu is because of you. It's it's really your fault because I wanted to watch Community. And, of course, Netflix did not have the uh, broadcast rights um, to Community. So I ended up paying 8 bucks a month for Hulu, um, just for Community. Uh, but all these, and I still have it, and I, yeah, I was saying they just rolled out a commercial-free subscription option, which I'm sure you would have to be a, an idiot to not <laughs> right. pay the extra 4 bucks to not sit through fucking 3 minutes of ads for a 24-minute <laughs> broadcast. But... Um, all of these, even the CW, uh, is is also on Hulu. It, Netflix does not have exclusive rights. Um, ask me how I know. How, how do you know, Colin? Because what would I do without being able to watch the current season of America's Next Top Model? Of course. I, I, I forgot that's your favorite show on television. I'm smizing really hard right now. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, then good for you. And I didn't until like a week ago. And again, this is all my girlfriend's fault. So... Well, I mean, we have to do things to make the significant other happy, right? No? Yeah. I, what do I know? I've only been married for four years. That's so, true, yeah. So I have a long ways to go. <laughs> she can hear you. <laughs> um, but no, I think... my my. I guess this is the big question I have, and maybe you can help me answer this. So HBO has a streaming, uh, HBO Go or HBO Now, uh-huh. and that's $15 a month. Yep. And, uh, I mean, you get... A decent collection of movies, actually, a fairly decent collection of movies. Um, not huge, not by anywhere means as close to how many you get with Netflix, but the quality is probably on par with Netflix and Amazon. Um, but the original content is really why we watch HBO. That's why we consume Game of Thrones, True Detective. Sure, um, I mean, going, even going back to The Sopranos, that's why HBO is still a household name, it's, right? You know, they they did for subscription cable what. Netflix has done for streaming services, which is exactly carve a niche through quality original content. My question is: Netflix's original content going to be good enough to succeed? Is Netflix going to succeed solely based on their original content? Is the way I should frame it. HBO was kind of already established, and Netflix has. Some very good shows that they produced. We're gonna, you know, give a review of Beast of No Nation, which they purchased. It wasn't made for them. They didn't fund it. It was partially funded by them. Um, but so th- this is an interesting platform, I think, for them to expand on. To where do they are they gonna in the ne- future are they gonna need these other things to compete? Well, I mean, someone for me, the eight bucks a month is justified by being able to watch basically a bottomless library of Lorenzo Lamas films um, a value at twice the price I would I would willingly pay probably $50 a month to get my Lorenzo Lamas in uh, you can't just watch those on YouTube <laughs> it's not the same you, I true. need to see those muscles in HD that's true good point yeah. um, I, I think I think going forward um, their original programming and then kind of buying into the market like they did with Beasts of No Nation they're going to have to do something to compete um, because they do not have, from what I can tell, any major exclusive streaming contracts with uh, any of the big studios anymore. Um, I, you know, their their stock prices are kind of taking a hit. Uh, although, if you were on from the beginning, you made a ungodly amount of fucking money with Netflix already. So I hope you cashed out. And you're not listening to this podcast. Cash out right now. Do it now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I honestly, I have no idea what the future holds for them. Um, Aside from watching this movie uh, for this podcast, and I wanted to see it anyway, not just for this podcast. um, I have not opened my Netflix app in months because anything I want on Netflix is available on Hulu. And there are plenty of things I watch on Hulu. Most of what I watch on Hulu, let's be honest, is not available on Netflix. Um, they're, you know, they they have to find ways to stay relevant since they're getting boxed out of these uh, libraries. Um, 
streaming rights by people with more money than them. So, I think if we've learned anything so far in this podcast is that if anybody from Hulu is listening to this, you should probably sponsor our show because uh, Colin loves it and he's got me on the verge of buying it right now. So either he needs to be your salesman or you should just sponsor this podcast, right? Or both. Or yeah. both. There, there you go. Yeah, throw some money at me. I'll box, <laughs> I'll box Brian out here. <laughs> what, one last thing I want to touch on, and, and you kind of mentioned it, um, is you know you're saying like they have to do something. Um, I, so Netflix, as a as a conceived idea, is uh, it's kind of been contagious. You know, with Hulu coming up, Amazon Prime, um, and then HBO now focusing a lot on their streaming. The interesting thing is HBO doesn't have to rely on their streaming. They have cable revenues coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hulu is backed by the major networks, specifically NBC. Well, and I don't know if you knew this, but uh, actually Hulu has a partnership with Stars right now. Um, and you can... so Which, Stars, by the way, I didn't know that, but they took that... Or Showtime, not Stars, excuse me. Showtime, Showtime okay. yeah. I was say, because... Stars used to be affiliated with Netflix, and then they tried to price gouge Netflix, and Netflix said, no, thank you. Yeah, so they, they have piggybacked uh, basically um, Hulu's infrastructure to offer a, it's, I think it's like 18 bucks a month. It's, it's a little bit more than HBO Go, I think, but you pay an additional fee, and all of the content is available through Hulu for your viewing pleasure. And HBO actually did that with... Uh, Amazon, you can't get the entirety of the catalog, but the older shows you can watch through Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So The Wire, Sopranos, all the great shows from the late 90s and early 2000s can be watched through Amazon Prime. Yeah, and speaking of, like, shout out to giant corporations for sponsorship, Stars, if you're listening to this, I want to watch Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Oh, God, will you me please, too. Will you please let us subscribe to your content somehow? <laughs> You bastards! You're the only one left, and and they charge like twenty dollars for a subscription. Yeah, uh, I mean, kudos to, kudos to them, but yeah, that's going to be a show. If you don't want people stealing your product, make it easily available. I'm not saying I'm not supporting pirating, but you have to make your content available, or easily available, or more easily available. Yeah, Anyways. and especially for I think they're called cord cutters like me. Obviously, Brian still has you still have TV, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, so I haven't owned, uh, never paid for a cable subscription. Um, I have one of the stupid over-the-air antennas in case uh, the zombie apocalypse happens <laughs> or something and the internet goes out. But, you know, I'm never going to, in the foreseeable future, be paying for cable or satellite. Uh, and with subscriptions to Hulu and Netflix, I, you know, I don't see why that'll be a problem going forward. I have more media than I could ever consume available to me legally. Uh, 24 hours a day so yeah I think the real challenge for Netflix is going to be fighting off the competitors and keeping them at bay because the novelties wore off the catalog is not there completely so either you have to be above and beyond with what you're bringing as far as original content goes or you're going to have to be very cheap I mean and and they are a little bit cheaper than than the other uh, other two major streaming so that's that is one thing they have going for them, or they have to corner the adult film industry. Yeah, that, which is which. Yeah, that's that hasn't been done. Maybe we have some. We'll talk about that after this is over. Yeah, again, if you're <laughs> if you're listening, we have some business tips for you, but they're going to cost you. Um. So that'll do it right now. Thank for open discussion. Unless there's anything else you want to say. No, I think let's move on. All right, uh, we'll move on to a uh, recommendations and what to see and what not to see in just a moment. All right, Colin, we are back. Uh, we're going to do some recommendations, some what to watch, some what to not watch, some what to play. Yeah, yeah. I got I got some... I, unfortunately, I haven't spent enough time watching TV or movies this week, but I have some, some video game knowledge to drop. I like to call it thumb exercises. That, yeah, that's... That's something else. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> I like right to now. do my thumb exercises, Colin. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, all right. Well, I'll start us off. Uh, I would like to recommend a film called The Final Girls. Uh, so, The Final Girls is a Taylor Scholson. I'm not sure how to say his last name. I, I, I'm horrible with names. We've, we've learned this by now. <laughs> Same guy who did Harold and Kumar, uh, the Christmas movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he did that. Okay. 
<laughs> you don't sound too enthused about that one. Ever, well, that that's for different reasons. I mean, it you know, it was better than Guantanamo Bay. Let, let's be honest about that. But the the first movie was such a well executed, great, yeah, just everything a cult classic should be was Harold and Camargo White Castle. So it's all been down from downhill from there. Uh, a very very Harold and Kumar, Kumar Christmas, Christmas yeah. yeah. And the guy's name is Todd Strauss Schulson. Um, so, young filmmaker, uh, he's only 35, so he's a year older than me, um, and I think this movie brings out his talent a lot more than Harold and Kumar. That is shocking. Uh, <laughs> that is shocking. Uh, the Final Girls, let me give you a brief synopsis of the film. A young woman grieving the loss of her mother, a famous scream queen of the 80s, finds herself pulled into the world of her mom's most famous movie. Yeah, I, actually that got recommended to me on Netflix, I think. Because uh, I remember reading that synopsis. I don't know if it's on Netflix, and if it's on Netflix, I'm going to be kind of angry. Because or maybe maybe IMDb recommended it to me. Oh, uh, that could be related. Yeah, related films. I, I've that synopsis has been thrust in front of my eyeballs in the last week. So has an interesting cast. Uh, Taysima Farmiga, who is from American Horror Story fame, which we talked about last week. Um, she is. Uh, the younger sister of uh, uh, it's a Farmiga. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Vera, Vera Farmiga, um, character actress. She's in a few things. She was in The Departed. She was in uh, Source Code. Good actress. Sister is quite a bit younger. Um, she plays the lead role in this movie. Her mother is played by Malin Ackerman. And uh, very early on in the film, the first scene, they're in a car accident. And her mother dies, and her uh, friends convince her, convince her to uh, go to a marathon of the movie, um, re-showing of the movie, that she, which she hasn't seen since her mother passed away. And she decides it's a great idea to kind of get past the loss of her mother. Okay. And one thing leads to another, and they get sucked into the film. Um, great supporting cast. Adam Devine from uh, Workaholics <laughs> is in it. He plays a re- ridiculous like sexist 80s macho football player great okay. great yeah no that that role is tailor-made for him it really is as long as he's not playing a serious character he could probably pull it off uh thomas middleditch uh is in this movie uh you'll know him from uh why my mind is just completely going blank i apologize um <laughs> silicon valley i can't remember his character's name the main character and richard richard hendrix <laughs> The, the, uh, he, he plays a bit role in this, which is actually quite funny. <clears throat> and then um, Aaliyah Sawcat, which I don't know if I'm saying that correct, maybe from Arrested Development. Yeah. She's in it, and she's actually really, really great. She's hilarious in it, in this uh, this film. It's a, uh, it's a spoof of the 80s slasher films. Um, it's very unique. It's a short film. It's only an hour and 25 minutes. Really? So it's a quick watch, but it's fun. <clears throat> very unique. Uh, visually, um, and it's very it's it's <laughs> this is gonna sound really weird, but it's a tender film. It's uh, it's very focused on uh, the main character uh, played by Tessa uh, Max is her name in the movie um, Max's relationship with her mother and um, just dealing with the loss, the real life loss in this fake world. Um, it kind of reminds me in a way, and you, this is maybe gonna make you laugh of Pan's Labyrinth, just in the world that. Uh, is created for her to deal with the the craziness that's going on around her. Well, is now is there a question um, of whether what she's experiencing is real or is a an outlet for grief? Is that left up to the audience or is that? It, th- there is a question. Okay. Of that um, good. There, without giving anything away, the ending is very odd. Okay. And but it's then again it's sub- tried to it's trying to subvert the genre, and don't get me wrong, it's not as good as a film as Pan's Labyrinth that doesn't complete the thought as well as uh, a movie uh, like that does but it's a good effort it's it's well constructive it's well constructed and it's it's different it's it's something that you're not gonna see um and i would i would be i'd be curious to see what you what you thought of it so i would like you know i'm recommending this uh, but i would like to definitely talk to you about it um like i said it's not a great film it's humorous it could do a little bit more when it comes to the horror, and it, and at times it's a little too sappy. 
for what you're dealing with and the humor that's involved. But um, that's called The Final Girls. Uh, I watched it on Amazon, uh, streaming for, uh, I think, four ninety nine. So okay. check it out. All right. Well, is that, is that it for you for movies for the week? Yeah. Yep, that's it. You must have been busy. Well, <laughs> so uh, I recently got a chance to check out the much-hyped uh, beta for... Uh, the new Star Wars game, Star Wars Battlefront, um, which is a reboot of what was a much beloved and actually still played uh, kind of, I, I don't know, I, I maybe describe it as Star Wars uh, in the vein of Battlefield. So large scale, lots of AI actors, uh, lots going on, um, and for PC, people were able to mod uh, servers and have, I think, 32 versus 32 or 64 by 64 player games. Some some massive scale of game. Um, and it, it really gave you this feeling of, you know, and again, take this with a grain of salt because this has been many years since the first Battlefront game released um, and since I've played it. But really just a, a feeling of being in a battle... Um, with some real scope in the Star Wars universe. Uh, so naturally, fanboys were, you know, both titillated and very frightened when it got announced this game was getting uh, getting the EA treatment, the EA reboot treatment. Um, the beta went public a couple weeks ago, um, and it's had a lot of problems. Uh, if, you know, if you're a PC player and you have uh, AMD hardware, that's too bad um, because they don't really want you to play the game apparently <laughs> uh, there's some massive hanging and freezing issues I don't know if that's gotten fixed yet but it was a, uh, a pretty big problem um, at least a week ago when I was still kind of investigating this um, you know they've, it's just a beta it's an open beta they still have a lot of time to polish the game um, but uh, as it stands right now if you spent the 60 bucks pre-ordering this uh, i would guess you probably threw your money down the drain. Um, <laughs> to, to put it nicely, I, I think the game, I, I described the game as uh, like the day after I played it as lumbering and un unfocused. Um, there's none of the chaos or impact of, you know, the, the current Battlefield games, even something like Hardline or Battlefield 3. Um, the, the maps are... You know, even the Hoth map is large and linear and you don't really feel like you're participating... And anything, um, the battle just kind of flows around you. And um, you know, I think my first game, I was, you know, I'm, I'm an above average gamer. I would say that um, towards the top of my team, like a you know 2.0 KDR or something like that. And I didn't really feel like I had accomplished anything. Um, you know, even though my team won and I shot a lot more people than uh, shot me. And really what it boils down to is the shooting mechanics in the game are not that great. So hopefully they, they have some time to make some changes, but it it will probably end up being a niche game for Star Wars fans rather than a really complete Battlefield-style game for everybody to play and enjoy. Um, yeah, I, I've been playing a, a lot of Destiny the Taken King, which is what Destiny should have been at launch, kind of in the vein of the Diablo 3 expansion, Reaper of Souls, was what Diablo 3 should have been at launch. And actually, Bungie got to sit down and talk with the Diablo 3 development team and learn from them. Um, and apparently, they were very helpful in making Taken King a great, ex great expansion. Um, one funny tidbit I didn't realize because I'd kind of been away from the game for a while before I picked it up is they cut all of Peter Dinklage's lines from the original game. And he's pretty much the voice for the protagonist. The, there's a silent protagonist, but he's your robot companion that interacts with all the other NPCs. And they literally, his performance was so phoned in and so canned <laughs> at some points. And there are a lot of reasons, there are a lot of conflicting reasons, accounts of why this was the case. But they hired uh, Nolan North, who's pretty much the one of the most legendary voice actors in gaming of all time. Um, Nathaniel Drake, uh, Deadpool... Um, oh yeah, uh, both both in film, cartoon, and and video games. Did he do um, the uh, voice for The Last of Us? 
Is that the same guy? Uh, I'm not sure if I don't think he did Joel, but oh, that's the only game I've ever played. So yeah, that's that's true. He's he's so talented. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think he did Joel in last. What's it? What's what's the guy's name? Nolan North. No, this is uh, Troy Baker. Not to be confused with Peter North, who's a legend in a a different. <laughs> uh, sorry a different for type of monster. Sorry for game. hijacking your suggestion with a terrible, terrible. Uh, because it's definitely some guy <laughs> named Troy Baker. So Oh Troy. Well anyway, uh, you know, if if you enjoyed Destiny, um, the Taken King is a much more focused game with a lot more to do. Um, the if you were familiar with uh, kind of gaming feedback devices, the uh, the operant conditioning has been dialed up a, a notch and you're gonna be a lot more heavily rewarded for your time. It just it feels like a much more complete game. Uh, the last game I want to talk about is I finally got around to purchasing um, Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, or as I like to call it, um, <laughs> oh man, how, how did I, Grand Theft Afghanistan Hunting Simulator 1984, <laughs> what? something like that. Um, what? So, <laughs> it's sort of hard to explain, uh, if you played any of the other Metal Gear games, um, the style and aesthetic is probably most similar to Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, um, except in an open world. Once you get to about the fourth story mission, um, you're basically dropped into a valley in Afghanistan. Um, you can pick and choose missions as you see fit, um, and you explore and gather resources, and you have a mother base, and... You can kidnap people and animals to force to work for you and research weapons and technology. Um, this is not something like a Metal Gear Solid game. It doesn't, but it is. Uh, so when it comes time to kind of tackle an objective and sneak somewhere, you you still have all of the familiar stealth mechanics in place. You know, you want to scope it out. You want to mark your enemies. You want to learn their patrol routes. Uh, infiltrate slowly. You can't run and gun. Um, you just have a lot more freedom, a lot more RPG elements um, to to kind of play with, and it's in a sandbox. So uh, if you have ever been a fan of Metal Gear games, I mean, and you own a PS4, you probably already have this game, and there's probably no reason for me to tell you about it, but it is a lot of fun. If you're kind of on the fence, watch a gameplay trailer of maybe the, the third mission in the game, and... I would say go for it, go pick it up, especially if you like stealth action games or if you like sandbox games even. Um, so that is that is kind of what I've started playing recently, and uh, hopefully I get to spend some more time with it soon. That's Metal Gear Solid Five, The Phantom Pain? Yeah, and there are two Metal Gear Solid Fives. There is Ground Zeroes, which was sort of like a... not not a $60 game. Um, I think it's priced at 20 bucks now. I think it went on the shelves at 40 bucks, but it is a almost like a playable precursor trailer for uh for the Phantom Pain. So, well, just just so you know, yeah. Uh the character Ocelot? Yes. That's Troy Baker. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring this full circle. Yeah, Troy Baker. And by the way, yeah, if you've been paying attention since you know the original Metal Gear Solid, apparently Ocelot no longer is Russian, just like Solid Snake is no longer played by David Hayter. And <laughs> the, the voice, yeah, it's the voice acting is confusing. Uh, I don't know why they needed to fire David Hayter to replace him with uh, Kiefer Sutherland, but that is probably the least confusing character voice acting change that they've done so far yeah uh, um so out of those three um you obviously you didn't like star wars uh it's yeah like i said it's just a beta they have a lot of time to kind of work out the kinks but unless they really polish and tighten the core shooting mechanics of the game uh i don't expect it to be anything but kind of mediocre that see that was the most interesting one to me uh did they have a lot of time to put that together what what would what would make it so i mean in my in my opinion i can see it on both sides one it's star wars video game it's going to sell no matter what just because it's called star wars but number two when you want your star wars game to be one of the best games out there i mean this the world is so is so rich for video gaming 
uh, when it comes to Star Wars. There's so much you can you could do with it, um, and especially with the new movie coming out, tie-ins, the character. I it just to me it it seems like a, a home run. How could you be this? How could it be this badly conceived? Well, I mean, like you said, you know, they have this big commercial tie-in, and they have a limited <clears throat> a limited window. I don't know how long it's been in development. I don't even know who the developer is, uh, and what their development history, what their experience is. But that could have something to do with it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it uh, they they have some big shoes to fill, but again, the game looks visually impressive until you are actually playing it kind of like you know the there are some sort of wave defense missions in the beta on Tatooine um, it's one of those things where the assets in a game can be really pretty but the game as a whole is not necessarily visually spectacular right. because there's a lot more than textures and character models that go in, and lighting that go into how a game looks which is you know why something like World of Warcraft, which is kind of cartoony, kind of simplistic, but with this really incredible art direction and visual style, can be, you know, can stand out from all its competitors like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, maybe like Rift or something that are kind of bland looking, even though they might have a higher polygon count, higher resolution textures, stuff like that. Yeah. That's not really what matters, what keeps people invested at the end of That's the day. That's true. So. Um, so I had forgotten. I had another thing I wanted to recommend, and I couldn't remember what it was. And it just hit me while you were talking. And so I'm just going to briefly talk about it because it's a little outside the box. It's another podcast. Um, so You're getting way too meta now, man. I, I, don't I know. know if I can, <laughs> right. Freaking out, man. Um, so this podcast is called Lore, and they don't need my help to plug them because they're uh, one of the top um, – podcast on itunes but it's i think very poignant right now because we're almost to halloween um and what lore is is just like it sounds it's lore it's a myth um and the creator and voice of lore is aaron Mankey. um so the description is it's a bi-weekly podcast about the history behind scary stories the people places and things of our darkest nightmares all have real facts at their core and he basically gets to the core of those ideas where they came from um, this month is um, a little different than the other other months because it is October, so he has a new episode uh, every week. Uh, so he's supposed to have four episodes, I think, this month, maybe five. Um, but it's very interesting. Uh, I think there's 19 total episodes out right now, um, and they're really short. They're only like 15 to 20 minutes. So he goes through um, everything from uh, certain haunted places or where we get the idea for uh, – certain scary things like a cabin in the woods why where the, where that lore came from or werewolves and uh it's just a it's a it's kind of a, a history of of myths and creatures and yeah. it's uh it's interesting his voice is very easy to listen to it's very pleasant i'm kind of weirdo so I, i'll listen to these before i go to bed uh you know just it's a good thing to wind down to listen about bloody gory things before you go to sleep are they all I'm guessing they're not all horror-oriented. Um, no, but for the most part they are. I, yeah. I, I mean, he'll touch on... Um, most. It, it is like kind of like about creatures. It's not always horror, though. He'll, I think one episode he talked about um, like elves or like mystic creatures like that. Um, so, But it's it's mostly... There's a, there's a lot of horror involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... Like I said, it's a short podcast. It takes no time at all to listen to one. Um, so I would recommend it. I, unfortunately, because they are so short, sometimes I listen to two back to back. And there's only 19 of them, and it's bi weekly, so you kind of run out fast. But if you're running out of things to consume, which is a problem that everybody faces in this day, and right? It's just, I've watched everything. No more Lorenzo Lamas films left on Netflix. Where do I go from here? <laughs> every video game has been played. Every podcast listened to. Um, you listen, listen to Lore. If that's if that's if that's the last thing you haven't heard yet. Um, no, but Aaron Minky Lore. You can find it on iTunes. Just look at the top 100, and it's in the upper 20s. So, um, I think that's going to do it for recommendations and what to watch and what not to watch. Uh, we'll be right back with a review of Beasts of the Ocean. All right, we're going to jump into a review of Beasts of No Nation, starring Idris Elba 
Abraham Agat. Ata. Ata. Or Ada. Man, Ada. I'm Ata, horrible Ata. with names, yeah. and I promise to not get better. It's the only reason I'm here, folks, exactly. just so you know. Uh, and directed and written for screen by Carrie Fukunaga. Um, so I think let's start out with the, talking about the direction of the film, um, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I, you know, I think that is one of the, the high points of the film. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so um, Carrie Fukunaga, Fukunaga is primarily known recently, I guess, for True Detective Season 1. Um, that's probably where most people know him. Um, that Probably the only place American audiences That's know. true. Yeah. Uh, I... Haven't seen Sin Nombre, even though that's been at the top of my list for a while. Um, and Jane Eyre was something that I actively avoided, which <laughs> after now, after watching this in True Detective, I think I might revisit it. Um, or actually visit it. Um, but it's just something that I feel like it's been done so many times. And I've, I mean, if you read the book, you've probably experienced a better telling of the story. Even as good as Fukunaga is, I don't know if uh, it could really be better than the book and it's Jane Eyre I, yeah. I don't want to I, I don't want to talk too much about that but uh, Beast of No Nation I, once again shows off his talent I think in an extraordinary way um, like you said probably the best part of the movie is the direction I think he's obviously a very talented director um, my two biggest takeaways is his ability to shoot landscape yeah his his visual uh, style is not... I, I wouldn't say it's original. Um, I think it's very polished. But he knows how to shoot terrain. <laughs> and uh, I, it, even going back to True Detective, his shots of Louisiana just felt ghostly and otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, you, the same could be said uh, uh, about Beasts of No Nation, which is much more vibrant in color than... Um, True Detective, and really that's the only thing I can compare it to because I haven't seen his other films, but I mean, the tones are so vibrant, I mean, the color is so vibrant, and so anytime there's any action or blood or violence, you feel it in, in your eyes, you know, <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's it's very well shot. Um, the only other thing that I would say, and I, I don't, I mean this in a good way, but it can also, I, I think it might be a part of the problem with the film, is he is a very cocky director. He's very confident in his ability. So I think um, occasionally he may focus on a scene a little too long. Um, but I don't. I don't want to get too overly critical of the direction because he definitely had a hard time with this film. There was a lot of problems in production. So uh, what say you? Yeah, I mean overall the the film to say the film is beautifully shot, especially. Um, when we're in in the bush, the jungle, um, or when we get these big wide-angle landscape shots, um, is just a, a like a photographer's wet dream. I don't know if it was him or the director of photography or both of them, but the the use of color and contrast and just the framing of some of the shots and some of the she- scenes are nothing nothing short of brilliant. They're just very well done. Um, I think the film loses some of that beautiful aesthetic uh, in in the scenes that are shot inside. Um, I I feel like he Fukunaga does not have the same eye for shooting indoors, shooting in tight spaces that he does when he can really move the camera around. Um, so. It, it's not all created equal, but when when he is working well, um, the movie is brilliant and beautiful, um, beautiful sight to behold. So that's that's all I really had as far as uh, as far as his direction, as far as the camera work. Um, where where else can we go that is spoiler free for this film? Um, I think we can talk a little bit about uh, the performances because really. Um, but there, there's not there's not a lot of side characters in this film. It pretty much is focused on Agu, the main character, the little boy, and this is going to be a bold statement. And I, I said that Fukunaga's direction is probably the best part of the film. But then again, I think of Agu uh, Abraham Ata. Yeah, might be the best child actor I've seen ever, or in a long time at least. I mean, he gives a performance here that is. 
um, nuanced in a way that I don't feel like many children could have pulled off. It, yeah, his performance is, if anything, it's the worst thing I could say about it is sometimes it's understated, mm-hmm. but yeah. he is, he is so good. Um, and you know, who's to say he might, this might be just a role that he's perfectly suited for. He might not be an actor with a lot of depth, right? but his, his performance is, is so understated is so brilliant that you wonder if it's understated or if he is just that um, that good at embodying his character and what the character would be experiencing or how they'd be acting. So I mean, there's some roles that are just made for an actor and uh, they'll never achieve that again. You know, I don't want to disparage Holy jo- Haley Joe Osment, but that role in The Sixth Sense was made for him and he never achieved that and hopefully this isn't the same for Abraham Matat. Uh he, I mean I would like to believe that he is just a good actor and uh, hopefully we'll see more of him in the future. Yeah. Although again it, it should be noted that this is his his first film role which is take take what you will away from that but uh yeah. Yeah. Uh and then the other performance is Idris Elba who uh, I I can he? I just. I can he just please be James Bond? Like the charisma that oozes out of it. I mean, he was almost. Uh, so let me let me back up. I enjoyed this film. I enjoyed it more because of Idris Elba. Well, I I would go so far as to say that I don't think I would have watched this film without Idris Elba. Um, his. I, I'm just waiting for him to kind of get noticed by Hollywood and get the roles that he deserves. You know, I feel like I feel like he is in line um, for recognition, just like Christian Bale was mm-hmm. in line, just like Michael Fassbender. Just these actors that are obviously incredibly talented, and they're all British for some reason. What is that? What does that do mean? I, do I have a problem? <laughs> is that a, is that a weird fetish? No, it's just uh, the what what it is is we're too worried about football and sports and they're over there acting it up. Yeah, being Americans, people. You mean that Christian Bale ain't from America? <laughs> what, what the hell, man? I've been lied to. <laughs> Bruce Wayne is is an yeah. American. <laughs> Uh, no, but I agree. Like I, I love uh, I love True Detective and Fukunawa. His direction may have enticed me to occasionally maybe stumble upon it. But honestly, probably the two hour and twenty minute runtime would have scared me away if it wasn't for Idris Elba. Now, granted, I don't think that the character is necessarily uh, well written. Yeah, I I would go so far as to say it's yeah maybe not poorly written, but def- definitely not a complete character. Um, and not supposed to be, I, no. I don't think. Uh, I think stereotype or caricature was kind of intentional at some yeah. level. But I also, and I don't, I don't think you'll agree with this, but I, I don't know how happy with his being in the film I was. Um, I felt like he was maybe miscast, like. Um, they needed somebody with talent and charisma to really bring this film together. And I feel like it was not necessarily him. Um, he, as far as I know, he is the only non... And maybe I'm getting, getting into some weird territory here, but non-African member of the cast... Um, I think you're correct. His uh, his accent, I I am comfortable saying his accent wavers a little bit. Um, not that that's something everybody would or should notice. If that doesn't detract from his performance, then you probably enjoyed the film more than I did. But he is he is physically imposing in a way that I think detracts from the charisma of his character. Because at the end of the day. He is a cult leader, um, and that's mm-hmm. what these men who run child soldier militias are. They are cult leaders running cults of personality. Um, and the fact that he towered everybody over everybody in certain shots. Um, yeah, I agree with that that sentiment a little bit too. I I totally get where you're coming from, and I feel like this was almost a showcase 
role for him. Like, almost, hey, notice me. Yeah. Because there's been a lot of talk of him getting nominated for an Oscar for this film. There's been a lot of buzz around this film, um, which I think Elba has that talent. I don't know that this is the role that would get him there. Um, it, it's, it's very one note. Mm-hmm. It, there's not a lot of... Uh, you know, I talk about the character of Agu and the actor having a very nuanced performance. That's not what no, Elba there, does in there's, this. There's no... Well, and again, that might have more to do with the writing than necessarily sure. his yeah. acting. But there's, yeah, there's no nuance to the character. The character's pretty one-dimensional. Um, there is a little bit more I'd like to talk about in spoilers with that character and some of the missteps, I think, that could go along with Fukunaga towards the end of the film. But we can go into that later. Um touch on the production a little bit if you want the production value we've already kind of talked about how glorious it was um i mentioned to you earlier some of the struggles they've had with the filming kierman getting some type of i think it was malaria so an awful disease that he could no longer film the movie <laughs> so carrie fukunaga had to take over actually shooting the film uh-huh. as a cameraman and directing it he got the flu was out two weeks so the film had to stop and idris elba almost died on set um which caused them to stop uh, filming for a couple days so he could clean up after himself because apparently he almost fell off a cliff. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of trouble getting this film made. Um, it couldn't get distribution, and then Netflix stepped in and bought part of it. Do and, you know, now, do you know why it couldn't get distribution? I'm kind of... Um, I, I don't know 100%. I think it had to do with the people who originally financed the film wanting it to be... Um, they, they had struck a deal early on with Netflix, and theaters started pulling out. So distributors started pulling out. So AMC and Cinemark, uh, they refused to, to show the film. So much like what happened with um, Tower Heist, where I don't know if you remember the Ben uh, Stiller movie that was... I never saw it, but yeah, I do uh, remember. was going to be released streaming in in theaters. And Ed, they, was it Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy, yeah. yeah. And people threw a fit about it. Um, something similar happened along the lines with this. And uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know how many people would have actually went to the theater to see this movie. I mean, would we have? I mean, Which, which sucks. I, honestly, I watching it in... Uh, in my house, I really wished I was in theaters mm-hmm. uh, because I agree with that too. The one thing we haven't touched on yet that is part of production was the sound design mm-hmm. um, and the score. I think was really well done and really impactful, and it just made me wish I was in front of a big screen getting blasted by uh, you know thousands of watts of speaker instead of watching on my crappy little TV. I agree. Uh, I think visually too, seeing that on a, a screen would have been breathtaking. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, again, back to the colors. It's just... <laughs> Beautiful. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about before we jump to spoilers? Yeah, um, I. well, this is almost spoiler, but not quite. So what do you think about the pace of the film? Because um, it, is, it is long. I, would, <laughs> I think we should probably talk about spoilers because I have a lot to say about okay. the pace of the film. Fair enough. Um, I will just say this. I felt like it was too long. I mean, that's that's what I'll say. There's some editing issues I have in particular shots that I, you know, I mean, we can talk about it here, I guess. Um, the first scene in which uh, Commandant runs into Agu, I thought that, that scene was edited so strangely, mm-hmm. where there's quick cuts in between the, and I, I'm not an editor, but it's easy to pick up on things when they're edited poorly. And I feel like there was something... I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe uh, you can tell me if why it was edited that way. But I felt there was a lot of quick cuts. And then there was a lot of montages in really random places where I feel like a lot of uh, the middle part could have been trimmed down. Some shots held on for too long. Yeah. And other shots were like over. And you're like, well, what just happened? Did I miss something? Why is there a montage? Like That kind of stuff kind of threw the pace of the film off. For me and kind of yeah. took me out. I think the bookends of the film, the beginning and the end, are really good, but particularly towards the end of the film, the pacing is. I, I, I just it was strangely edited in my in my opinion okay. for a two hour and twenty minute movie. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I will agree is I think the almost almost directly in the middle of the film, um, the pace kind of faltered. Yeah. And it does. It starts strong, and I th- I do think it. It finds itself again 
before the end of the film as far as pace goes uh, and gets back on track. But it, it does slow down in the middle a little bit. Um, of course, by that time, you're already probably way too emotionally invested to, you know, do anything about yeah. it. But just just be aware that, you know, and I, I think this is a movie worth watching. But Absolutely. Absolutely. I would recommend it. Just you, you have to know that you're getting into something with almost a two-hour, 20-minute runtime and that it does not maintain the the emotion the emotionality and the pace throughout the middle of the movie but correct you'll get there again so 100% agree with that that's all I have for non-spoilers alright well then I guess we're going to go into spoilers so if you do not want to hear spoilers for Beasts of No Nation stop listening now what honey wow are you kidding really? me you just ruin it every oh, time oh. I'll see you at home well, wait so a second. rude now how would you not know that that was taking place all right, spoilers for Beasts of No Nation. Um, I'm going to start us off because I really want to talk about this, and it thoroughly—I wouldn't say thoroughly—bothered me. And I kind of uh, maybe be making—I might be making too much of it. Maybe you can talk me off the cliff here. Yeah. Or maybe I'll jump with. Or you. maybe you will. Yeah. Um, so when um, Commandant decides to overthrow Dada Goodblood, when he decides to make that. That whole portion of the film was so convoluted to me, and it's based on a book. I didn't read the book. I don't know how the book ends, but I feel like there was a better way to write the conflict between those two characters. Well, so I'll step in. I don't think he. I don't think his intention was ever to overthrow. Um, Really, the way I and the way I read the film was that he was getting out of control or. Maybe Dada Goodblood, he was no longer... His methods were too extreme to okay. take it back to... I could definitely see that. Um, and he talks about accountability in the scene that they're together. Yeah. Um, with the context being, you're a fucking <laughs> child soldier, puppet master monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can't really be associated with you. Which I enjoyed um, that scene, by the way. I thought I, that... That was yeah, no, it, it was... And the acting that scene is, is great. Um, actually, it's one of my favorite moments on the screen with Idris Elba the yes, whole film. Yes, agree. Um, but earlier there's a scene where they're they're talking and uh, Goodblood dangles the carrot of don't you, do you want to be a general? Mm. Um, in dialogue to the Commandant. Yeah. So I, wh- what I think was happening is that he was, he was expecting this promotion. He was expecting to move forward. Not necessarily he wanted to take over but Goodblood knew he was dangerous and he couldn't control him and was having him removed. Um, and Idris Elba was not willing to give up control of his small... Right. His battalion. Uh, so he just sort of leaves. Um, he, he hides into... In a... Uh, was it a, a gold mine? Well, he... he he creates he creates a gold mine. There I you think. go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely can see what you're saying there. I think. I guess my biggest problem is the action of, of those of that scene of, of when they when, when they go to when when they go to war with each other, or however you want to phrase it. Yeah. I mean. What? Yeah. Are you talking about the 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 scene where they have conflict? The, helico- or? the helicopter uh, attack. Yeah. I mean that that scene just I I felt like it was almost shoehorned in for maybe but I think you're missing the bigger picture which is in the context of these civil wars that happen where and and so I watched this film with my girlfriend and she really did not understand you know why these people were doing these horrible things to each other mm-hmm. um, and I made some comments like well you have a coup and. Maybe there's this government that's not legitimate, or maybe they're taking advantage of their people, right. or they're doing something horrible, and a rebellion starts, but people lose control, or it fragments, or it fractions, um, and you have warlords fighting for power, and it just creates this cycle. So what what I saw from the beginning of the film to the end of the film was like a complete rotation through the cycle where at the end sure uh, that, yeah. yeah so it, it it was necessary for the film on an intellectual level I think for Idris Elba's character to 
become a warlord and mm-hmm. be he basically he was no different from the the government troops that killed a goose family right, by right. the end of the film. I guess so. my I guess my thing is I just felt like that would have been a good finale to the film. And it was shoehorned in with the finale, if that makes sense. Yeah, I so I think there I think <laughs> and again, this is why the film this film could have been could have been a masterpiece. Yeah. Instead it was just a very good film. Um maybe a, I think you could make a case for it was a great film. It's it's really hard to watch. It is just really painful. It is. Um, and it will. So I think the first the first note I took <laughs> after I watched this movie was fucking goddamn it, humanity, fuck. Um, it's not a pleasant film. Not to watch. a pleasant film. And back to what I was saying, there are two endings. There's there's an ending with continuity with the story with mm. the the big picture, and then there's an ending for a goose character. And I think. Those the fact that there are two endings for the film, it, it sounds like that's what you're describing. That's what bothered you. Yeah, and it, again, it doesn't. I don't think it takes away from the overall arching uh, story, which the story is in itself is not thick. I don't think the story is necessarily thick. No, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I'd agree. I don't think it, it's meant to be. Yeah, but uh, the the ending of a goose story is somewhat hopeful in a dim movie. I mean, it's not entirely like, oh, he found a life in America where he's going to play football. Yeah. It, you know, it's not that, but it is he did, for the moment, break free of his chains, so to speak. Well, yeah. God, I see. I don't... It was... I actually... Uh, I, so I cried um, a couple times in the movie. The one is where he is, you know, basically You're going to make me cry right now just talking are, about it, but... He and he narrates, but saying basically we've been reduced to animals. Yeah. And the end of the movie, um, he is. So, he's in this camp with other rescued child soldiers or other rescued refugee children refugees, and he. But he's not a child, and he talks about mm-hmm. in dial or in monologue for the camera exposition that, you know, if this ever ends for me. I'm not a child and I can't go back to childish things. And I don't, you know, it's, it's not like he is, the movie ends with him being normal. The movie ends with a single step towards being normal. Right. Yeah. Which is he, the walls come down in his head long enough for him to engage in a single moment of play. Yeah. And I, you know, take, you know, maybe that did not work for you, but for me that I cried watching him, run into the ocean watching him allowing the, himself to be the character allowing himself to be a child oh no I, I it totally worked for me I hope I didn't I wasn't trying to say that, that it didn't work because I think that was actually the best part of the film uh, like I said the beginning and the end are yeah really they're, well, they're, and, yeah no sorry go ahead th- I just thought they were, they were it, it was magical filmmaking to end the movie that way because it does say so much about what you've just seen I mean there's a scene where uh, the commandant makes him kill somebody with a uh, machete, and it's brutal. It's and that's one of those scenes where I kind of felt like it maybe went on for a little too long. Uh, yeah. But it to see that character go from there to the end, it it's that is and it's a, like you said it's a small step, but it's a step in the in the right direction for a character that you. It's the only character that you really. I mean, I don't want to say you feel an emotional attachment to. Because you, there really isn't a whole lot of other characters. I mean, all these kids. Striker, I mean, Striker, yeah. maybe, and Agu are the only. It is just such a poignant moment, though, at the end of the movie. And it really bookends. It, it finishes the film off. On, on a note where, you, like you said, it's like he gets the, a chance to just let loose, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. Um, but then, you know. You've gone through so much with this character, and he's done horrible things. I think he even mentions the, the thing, like saying, "I've done horrible things." I can't remember exactly what he said, but th- yeah. th- th- this well, character is—he says, he says. At one point, the the monologue for the camera switches from addressing God to addressing. Yeah. He says, "God, I know you're not watching anymore, yeah. or else how could you let these things exactly, happen?" So, yeah. Mom, I'm going to talk to you yeah. now. <laughs> like, yeah. Fuck. It's 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 a definitely powerful movie and I um 
yeah, I, I don't want to sound like I'm coming off harsh on the end of the movie. I just, I just think that my overall being maybe nitpicky is just the editing. Uh, and like you said, maybe uh, Idris Elba's performance, which is great, but maybe he was miscast. I, I do yeah. go back to that and agree with it. Um, he, I, I think he just he seems out of place. Sure. In the shots. Yeah. Um, not to take anything away from him as an actor or even necessarily his performance, although I don't think his performance is perfect. Um, I just feel like he's visually kind of out of, out of place. I mean, um, real quick, before we close this off, go back to go back to the, um, the pacing. Uh, I just... So, to me, this movie was about... 15 minutes too long and yeah. I, I don't have a problem with movies that have long run times you know Avengers is two and a half hours long and I, I wasn't like dying to leave it and, and neither was I with this film um, but to me it just it felt overly drawn out in certain scenes sure there well and like you montage specifically <laughs> yes um, yes there there's a point in the movie where they switch to Shorter scenes and montages after after he gets dosed, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like it wasn't necessary. Like, there were too few scenes with his character that were part of the narrative, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to these montage cuts that didn't really add any... Didn't add any... Definitely took away from the momentum of the film, of the pacing, but also did not add anything to what we were experiencing with the characters. Um, I just real quick before we end this too, uh, what was your favorite scene in, in the movie? Oh, God. Other than the because um, I feel like the ending would be the easiest one to appreciate. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think it, maybe it's hard for this favorite, but uh, after Agu is raped by the commandant oh, for the God. first time yeah, and Stryka's character is there and they're both human again and yeah. it's like a friend supporting a friend because Stryka has been the one being molested mm-hmm. and now Agu has replaced him yeah um, yeah and this film is brutal by the way if you haven't <laughs> it's put just this... unrelentingly fucking brutal um yeah and god like as if and again this it's probably in the book, but as if there weren't enough horrible things going on, of course, the Commandant is a pedophile. Yeah. And, and the main character has to get raped, physically and emotionally yeah. raped, literally, along with all the other unspeakably dehumanizing, horrible things that have to happen with him. Yeah. Like, I, I almost feel like, and again, I have no right to say this, but the movie would have been better off without the Commandant being a pedophile. I agree because with there's that. always there's already so many so many horrible mm-hmm. things you have to process that it's like this just a whole other layer that and, I didn't need to deal and, with. And really, not to get off on a tangent because I don't want to. We're, we're we're starting to run a little bit long, but you didn't need the pedophilia, and then at the same time they try to humanize uh, the the the. I I think it's the book in the adaptation, but they try to humanize the commandant in more, a lot of ways. More, more towards the end of the film, yes, I think so. Yeah. And, I just to me it came off. I I use this word probably too often, but pandering, like, I, because at that point I don't want to view him as a human. I, what I want is for a goo to stick a knife in his ear. At that point, really, see, I was I was just not praying, but really hoping that a goo would not kill him. Really, um, because I think a it would be a cliche like it, this weird right. Western yeah. Hollywood cliche, but. This this poor character has is just holding on to these scraps of humanity. Yeah. And if he killed the commandant, I was I was just hoping that he the character would not do that. And I get I agree with you. Yeah. There, but it, it just emotionally, I just sure. I, well, I mean, he's he's a monster. Yeah. He's a horrible monster. So yeah, you. I mean, he deserves to die probably. But if he was going right. to, I did not want it <laughs> to be in a goo's hands. Yeah. I think so. On a lighter note, um, before we close, my favorite shot in the film, and I think this says a lot about who Carrie Fukunaga is as a, as a filmmaker. The scene where um, they bring the TV to the soldier, and you get that shot 
through the TV and he's like, what am I going to do with this? This isn't even a working TV. And he's like, it's an imagination TV. Like, I just, that was a beautiful scene to me. I, it sets up the film in, in a, in a interesting way. It does. And the, the scene or the, the beginning of the film, they have, they have the task of emotionally investing the audience in this character yeah. in not a lot of time. Uh, because he spends most of his time being a child soldier, yes. um, so they have to really draw you in quickly, and they do a very good job, especially with that, with the imagination TV, with yeah. that, uh, and his brother. Um, they they just right. they come across as very real, real characters, realistically written characters. Absolutely, yeah. Hopes and aspirations. Yes. And, yeah. You feel yeah. like the, that scene just made me think like this is a kid, like this is yes. a kid, you know, and let's tear away <laughs> all of his innocence and everything that defines him as a person. Um, so overall, I would I would say that this movie is a strong B plus for me, almost uh, almost great. I, I would say it's good. Um, it's probably not a film I'll ever revisit again, though. It's just it's brutal, it's relent relentless, um, and if if anything, I would hope that uh, Abraham Agat. Ata. Ata, sorry. Ata, Ada, Ata. Ada, yeah. whatever. I hope I hope his name is so well known in 10 years that I will regret not knowing it now because I hope he does have a long career ahead of him. He was fabulous. Uh, and that's that's what I'll say about it. Yeah, I mean, if, if nothing else, you know, his... I don't think you could have hoped to do a better job casting for a role like this in a film like this, so... Um, definitely, if you you know need a reason to lose your faith in humanity, um, right? If you need a little misanthropy in your life, sit down and watch this film. But it, I think, it is good, um, and it makes a case for greatness. Whether or not it reaches it is going to be kind of up to the viewer, but uh, definitely worth a watch. So, I think we agree. Um, so that's going to do it for this episode, uh, Midnight Film Review. Uh, check out my reviews at midnightfilmreview.com. I am going to be working on a blog post about millennials and how they consume media. Um, probably talk, going to talk about Netflix and that, so you can look for that. Um, check us out next week where we will be reviewing hopefully another film. We Hopefully we'll get ahead of schedule so we can tell you what we'll be reviewing, so maybe you can watch it with us. Um, all right, that'll do it. Anything else? I think that's it for me. All right, we'll see you next week.